This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Looking ahead to the fun-filled end to the summer with the CNE in full swing, we talk to the man behind the food fads. And we're all familiar with the adage, you can't fight City Hall. Well, what's it like to take on Metrolinx? We'll tell you about a neighborhood institution forced to close. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The coming year marks a major demographic and retirement milestone. More Americans will reach the traditional retirement age of 65 in the same year than at any other time in history. And it's going to have a huge impact on retirement planning, health care, social security, and taxes. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's population projections, about 12,000 people will turn 65 Every day next year, that's about 4.4 million in 2024. And by 2030, all boomers, those born from 1946 to 1964, will be 65 or older. However, two-fifths of baby boomers and Gen X Americans lack a simple savings account. A new survey by personal finance company Achieve finds over half aren't close to living comfortably and without debt or money fears. Americans are saving less now than at almost any time in the past decade. The personal savings rate as a share of disposable income briefly fell below 3% last year and now stands just over 4%, meaning the average worker is saving less than 5% of disposable income. Here at home, more than half of Canadians still in the workforce past the age of 60 are there by necessity, not choice, according to a labor force survey from Statistics Canada. It cited essential expenses and a lack of pensions as the primary reasons for people continuing to work. And a report from February found fewer people had retired in the past year compared to the year before among those aged 55 to 64. Over the last few decades, the number of seniors going into retirement with mortgage debt has doubled. A new study finds that Torontonians are spending approximately 199 hours per year in traffic. Conducted by British car rental company Nationwide Vehicle Contracts, it suggests that the top speed Toronto drivers reach during rush hour is 25 kilometers an hour. Researchers have ranked data from 15 different countries, and Toronto's traffic is 13th worst in the world, falling just behind Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and Bangkok in Thailand. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
For the last 15 years or so, the increasingly wild and wacky selection of foods at the CNE have taken center stage. I chatted with the man behind them, Michael Knott. There's been so many over the years, so many crazy things. I mean, just last year with the ketchup and mustard ice cream. Uh, prior to that, we had the charcoal infused ice cream, people eating the black ice cream. And uh, a couple years ago, we had $100 burgers that were uh, were cut plated with gold gold flakes. Those charcoal ice creams, I mean, they seem to be everywhere one year, and suddenly they're all gone. We still have them here at the CNE. They're still doing but he's doing other flavors now. But they, you can still get the charcoal ice cream uh, with the black cone. And what is the advantage of that? It's just, uh, I think sometimes it's if it's Instagrammable, you, you you buy it, you take a picture of yourself eating it, you post it on your social media site, and uh, it gets gets a lot of play. And I think it also tastes good. I like the taste of it. What is the taste of it? It's kind of a vanilla, vanilla coconut flavored. And then this year we have the, the uh, cheeseburger ice cream and the street corn ice cream, Mexican street corn ice cream, both of which are, I like the, uh, actually I do like the uh, cheeseburger ice cream. It's got a bit of a tang to it when you eat it. It's pretty good. Sweet corn ice cream actually sounds good. Yeah, it's good too. But you, with that, you have to eat the whole coin because you, uh, you have to get the, the cone in with it because so, it has the coating on the cone as part of it. How much of these, how many of these do you get uh, when looking at other fairs in other cities? And, and uh, how many of them do you hatch yourself? Well, I guess uh, it's not just me hatching them. I work with the concessionaires, right? So they may, we may together come up with an idea, and then I give them a starting point, and then they may run with it, and they'll, they'll improve on it or make other changes to it to bring it up back to a sellable item here at the CNE. How many of those do you get from other fairs? It's not just it's other other fairs I get a number from other fairs. We look at what's popular at the, you know, at the uh at the um, Minnesota State Fair because that's a huge food fair, so we'll look to see what some of their top items are. Uh and a number of the fairs down the states. Uh Florida State Fair is one of the first fairs that starts out in the year, and some, we would go down there and visit, or I visit their website and see what some of their new stuff is, and look to see if I could improve on it, make some changes to it, suggest it to a vendor. Do you want to try this? Maybe if you added this to it, we could uh, we could make that uh, a hit. But yeah, you know, we look at all fairs all over, not just fairs uh, in the United States. Um, I mean, I picked up a, a food at uh, uh, was in visiting family in Holland, and I went to a street festival. And I saw these little mini pancakes, and uh, I really liked them. I thought they were cool. Came back, talked to one of the vendors, uh, suggested he try it. Now it's very popular for him. He's been doing it for about four years now, and it's extremely popular. Oh. And he improvises every year to improve what the uh, what the thing is with it. This year, I think he's doing uh, Puff Love's Fruity Pebbles and Pancakes. What are some of the notable misses? What's a miss that surprised you? Well, actually, I'm working on a couple of things right now, but nobody wants to do it. I, I, can, I'm, I wanted to try something with spam. Uh-huh, but? But none of my vendors are adventurous enough to try it yet. But I, I'm working on them, so we may see it next year. I know it's huge in Hawaii. And what about something that actually did not work out that well that was actually on offer? Um, just trying to think. I, right now, I've been just thinking about all the stuff that did make it. 
Like some of them only have a shelf life for a couple of years. Like we don't have deep fried butter down here anymore. It's been gone for a number of years. They only have it. You know, it was a hit, but then it, three years later, it's gone. It's uh, you'd think that some of these things could be sustained throughout the, the seasons, but um, the way the food goes down here, it's uh, when you come down here to the CNE, you've got the, your two lists. The one is that you've got to try this, and the other list is I got to have this. So the way it is is that you got to you know, your item that is a good a got to try list. You want to get it to a got to have list. So you got when you come down here, you got to have the tiny Tom donuts, right? Right. You got to have a corn dog. You got to have the ice cream waffle. So those are the items that are staples down here. And the ice cream waffle, which has been here for over eighty years, tiny Tom donuts. I think it's seventy five years now, and corn dogs have been around since forever. Those kind of things are the got to haves, right? You got to have that. And now. When you come up with a ketchup and mustard ice cream or a cheeseburger ice cream, it's like, is it sustainable that you can bring that back every year? Or is it just a flash in the pan and then two years from now, you got to come back with something different? Anything else you want to leave us with? Uh, come on down to the X. We've got <laughs> lots of stuff going on down here. We'd love to have you down and uh, check out all our entertainment, all our rides, games, food, all our shopping. We've got lots, we've got lots still left, so come on down. Thank you so much, Michael Knott. Okay, thanks, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Michael Knott, manager of Midway Concessions and Outdoor Exhibits at the CNE. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, a neighborhood institution takes on Metrolinks after being forced to close. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. It's been a neighborhood gathering place and a local landmark for more than 40 years. The Acropolis Bakery on the Danforth is being forced to move and to close to make way for the Ontario line. Owner Bill Gekas tells us what it's like to take on Metrolinx. This February Cummings would have been 45 years. It was built in 79 by my immigrant parents that came to Canada in 1970. They built the business in 79. They bought the building in 96. And then they've been in operation ever since. Uh, Dad passed away in 2019. We then licensed out the store to a friend of mine while we focused on our manufacturing side to continue the legacy. And uh, now, as of last week, it was gone. So uh, the manufacturing, you were manufacturing Spanakopita, Tiropita? Spanakopita, Tiropita, basically all the phyllo products that you see at the store, we manufacture now at a place in Vaughan, and we send them down to the store and other retailers across the province and Canada, even the U.S. And you also have tenants, or had? We, have, we had tenants. We still have two that are hanging in there right till the end which is good on them. You know, we, we wanted them to stay you know, as long as possible, and that's what they're doing. Uh, the other two left once Metrolink started sending out letters of expropriation, and uh, we were asked not to rent them out again, and we would be reimbursed for damages, which hasn't happened. 
as far as the store is concerned, we had zero offer for Metrolinx for the store. And then obviously the building below market value. Is that what you were expecting, that you would be treated like that? What started off as a pretty amicable amicable back and forth communication between my brother and I and Metrolinx uh, turned out, you know, to be a bit of a disaster. And, you know, it, there was dead silence after once, once we started pushing ahead and saying, okay, well, this is the valuation for the store. This is the valuation. We had private evaluators come in, third party. And uh, Metrolinx was basically silent about the store, completely silent. Even though they asked us to get, obtain quotes for relocation and so on, we haven't heard back. And then as far as the property goes, so we know, I mean, it's going to come out in discovery when we proceed further, that if, you know the, what they offered was undervalued. And the tenants are scrambling. Like they have no idea where to go. They're finding them apartments that are three times the price. And the ones that are similar to where they live now are, you know, these are 600 square foot apartments. One of them, I think, is 700. And they can't find anything similar for that price. So who at Metrolinx are you dealing with? At what level? Uh, we're still, well, right now it's with the lawyers. Uh, we haven't heard from anybody from Metrolinx directly since we provided them all the info they had asked for. And then it was just been through the lawyers ever since. So we're going on just over a year dealing with lawyers. But when they say reasonable cost for the store, it should include relocation, construction, and moving costs. We have all the furnishings and so on. But, you know, to, for them, I guess, reasonable cost to reconstruct the store that's been renovated over the years at least three times. And moving physically freezers, coolers, walk-in things like, you know, walk-in freezers new electrical, new everything, it's not. It's going to cost them a lot of money. And I think that's where the roadblock stopped. Okay, so you think you should be compensated for the store, the Acropolis, yeah. where people gather and they have coffee and they have a filo pastry. And they have a filo and it's been there for 45 years. I mean, that has some value to it as well. And it's not, I mean, and right now it's being operated by a licensee, for which is a friend of mine. But, it, you know, he bought it pre-COVID. And he hasn't even had a chance to make his money back or recover. Is this a matter of where they can hold out longer than you? I'm assuming you can hold out, but maybe not everyone's in that situation. Um, I think, I guess you could say that because it's almost like a divorce, right? <laughs> Whoever has the most money can drag it out. And, you know, we're nowhere near anywhere close to what Metrolinx is. I mean, they're huge, right? Bill Gekas, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. That was Bill Gekas, owner of the Acropolis Bakery and Coffee Shop on the Danforth. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.